Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. I'm Virginia Allen, and this is the last episode Aww. of Problematic Women for 2022. Yeah. Another year in the books. So here with us to help us finish the year strong is Heritage Foundation Senior Legal Fellow Sarah Partial Perry and Heritage's Senior Media Analyst Kristen Eichhammer. Kristen, Sarah, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having us. What a senior group. I know. That's true. And you're, are you a senior news producer? Wow. Yeah. I'm, just a, uh, I'm just a lowly <laughs> director. A lowly director who runs half the building, essentially. <laughs> but I don't have senior in my title. Maybe we can fix that yeah. in the new year. Well, I think we need to settle a debate before we jump in to a pack show today. Is we're, we're going to be hitting some of the highlights, some of the most problematic stories of 2022. But before we do that, okay, real tree or fake Christmas tree? Ooh. Okay, for me, it's fake because mm. you get to a certain point where you've done enough Christmases with kids, <laughs> and it is all about making it easy. I literally put that thing together in three big pieces and plug it in, and I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that, but added is the the air freshener mm. or the you spray diffusing mm. oil on it so it smells real. Okay. See, I'm real tree all the way. Of course you are. Yes. I I take myself Wait till to you're Home married Depot. And you have kids. Okay. Well, yes. Maybe. <laughs> but see, I grew up as a kid, we would go to the tree farms and chop the tree down. It was a, like a ritual, and I thought I was like my single self is going to do that. We go to the tree farms. We don't. We'd hold hands with the tree. <laughs> we'd pray and thank the tree for living a good life with us. And then I gave it a gentle hug before I chopped it down. That's exactly <laughs> what we did in my family, <laughs> I'll send you pictures. <laughs> But there's just something about having a real tree in your home, in in my opinion. I understand the convenience of a fake tree. I I do. Let alone kids. If you have cats, a real tree is also. So do you have a fake tree, Lauren? I don't have a tree in my house. Oh, Oh my gosh. Wow. I go home for Christmas. Yeah, but like you couldn't even get a little one. How hard would I mean, that I be? I go home too, and I still get a tree. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> you still pray over it and thank it for oh my god <laughs> for sacrificing its green life. I will honor you, tree, with Fake all my news. Christmas wishes. <laughs> um, no, I have a little. Um, of course, from Aldi, I have a little Christmas like gnome thing that I bought. That's festive. That's, That's festive. Yeah. yeah. That's something. I will give you credit. You go all out for 4th of July. So. Oh, yeah. My whole house is like most of the year decorated for 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> you went on that front. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. Well, Lauren, go ahead. Let us know what we have queued up for our last show of the year. Up on today's Problematic Women, we are hitting some of the biggest stories and most problematic stories of 2022. From Roe v. Wade in protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices to a disappointing midterm election and Taylor Swift breaking the Internet. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. May 2nd, 2022. A lot changed in all of our lives on that day because that's the day that the draft opinion of the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization opinion was leaked. And the leak was completely 
unprecedented. That had never happened in the history of the Supreme Court. Thankfully, it has also not happened since. But uh, then what followed was honestly kind of even more insane because we had two straight months of protests outside the homes of the justices and in some cases even longer than that. Pro-abortionists, they termed the summer the summer of rage. So when you all think about the quote-unquote summer of rage (laughs) and Roe v. Wade and the leak and the protests that followed, what stands out to you guys as you look back on that? Uh, wow. Well, that's it's hard for me to encapsulate it because this is something I got involved in when I was 14. And mm. my first act of sort of political sort of fealty and the Constitution and really feeling strongly about conservative causes was when I testified in my home state of Wisconsin in front of the Wisconsin State Assembly on a pro-life bill. So I've been following this issue for as long almost as this decision has been around. I'm actually younger by one one year. <laughs> I've just outed myself on my age. Um, so this, this was particularly impactful for me. Um, but seeing the leak, really the word that comes to mind is bravery because the justices who authored the opinion, Alita who authored it, those who joined with him in the majority opinion – they could have kowtowed to the mob. It would have been very easy to make the protesters go away, to sort of bend and shape and twist the original opinion to fit some kind of a politically palatable narrative. They refused to do that. And what we got in the end, the ultimate opinion, was almost identical to the draft leaked opinion, which indicates to me that these were people who were not going to be bullied. Mm-hmm. Virginia, you and I were in front of the Supreme Court together when the news kind of came down. It was a crazy moment. It was a crazy, well, because there were a bunch of cases that were supposed to come out that day, and we really thought it was going to be the last case. So we weren't like, I mean, we were working and we were recording and doing interviews, but we didn't think it was going to kind of come down. Yeah, we were just sort of there hanging out, seeing what was going on. And Virginia literally looks over me, her hands are shaking. She's like, it's out, it's out. And I'm like, what does it say? She's like, I don't know. I I was trying to like click on it and things weren't loading and I was like, get Twitter rolling. And And people are screaming. It was was crazy. So it was uh, definitely something to remember personally, but um, I've only been involved in the pro-life fight for about six or seven years since I started at Heritage. So I'm only part of like... Sarah, you've you've been there the whole time, and I'm only this kind of small portion. So I I honestly, at the end of the day, feel really blessed and spoiled. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is easy. <laughs> A couple of years, we got it done. What are we tackling next? But when, yeah. but when you think about this, took. Mm. A, a whole generation yeah. of people yeah. coming together to do it. It's it's really momentous, and and um, I think that's what made the day so emotional. Mm-hmm. You saw so many people crying, and as they kind of recognized the weight of what had just happened, that this had been forty nine years of people advocating, praying, fighting, mm. yeah, and really a lot of small steps, a lot of trying to get various little pieces of legislation passed uh, and the fight's not over um, far from over but it was for so so long people were in the trenches it was an issue 
that did not wear people out despite its incrementalism. Exactly. We saw challenge after challenge after challenge because the states continued to legislate on abortion, Mm -hmm. even though the Supreme Court pulled that authority away from the states and said, no, 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 we know better than you do in 1973, which, P.S., that opinion in Roe versus Wade was written by seven men. Mm -hmm. They took it completely out of the hands of the legislative bodies, which is the appropriate lawmaking body, and instead said, essentially, we know better than you do. But states didn't care. They kept legislating because it was never clear what that line was in terms of the Constitution. And that was one of the reasons that the majority got rid of it, because it was so confounding for the states. They couldn't follow it. It was difficult to apply, and it literally plucked a right out of thin air. Mm-hmm. But it, it really required stick on the part of everybody who was involved. Yeah, I think what uh, was most interesting to me is seeing the states and how they started to respond after these Supreme Court justices took that final stand. Um, Something that I read a few days ago was a report by Newsmax, and basically they said the preliminary data is showing that in Texas, abortions have dropped by 97 percent in the month following the, the actual decision, which obviously came later. But I just think, you know, we're in the swamp a little bit here, right? Mm-hmm. But seeing states appreciate the conservative presence here and those that are actually advocating for the policies that they they stand by and that those um, constituents believe in is just so empowering to know that every day we show up and we are doing it to ensure that those that aren't represented here are. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, and I love the like New York Times when they talk about those abortion cases, which now the babies have been born in, in Texas because of the laws that were able to be implemented because of Dobbs. The um, it's always like a young mother, and it's like her life is terrible. She lives, you know, <laughs> in a bedroom with with her boyfriend, and you feel for these girls, right? You don't you don't want yeah. to ever see anybody. But at the end, it's always a quote from the mother of like, "I wouldn't have done anything differently. I love my babies." <laughs> yeah, it's like always at the end of the day, wow. like such a pro life case, and I think it really shows that at the end of the day, these pro-life policies are what women actually want and what's best for women in the American family. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you, being the mother of three kids, I know what it's like to go, (laughs) I'm going to choose to do one thing. I was fully committed to going back to work after I had Mm -hmm. my first, and I looked at him in the delivery room and went, I quit! (laughs) (laughs) So it's definitely something that changes your life for the better. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really incredible to think, Kristen, like you said, of all of the lives that are saved. I mean, there's some reports that as many as uh, as 10,000 babies have been saved since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, and even, I think, ABC News, they came out saying it could be 150,000 to 159,000 on average more people born every single year in a post-Roe world. Mm. So it's pretty incredible that for, for generations to come, we're going to be interacting, we're going to have friends who are here on planet Earth because of what happened in June of this year. Is that it? Are we done? That seems pretty problematic. <laughs> I liked how positive it was. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> With you, and on a positive note, but no, we still have three more segments. All right. Well, while Roe v. Wade was being struck down and people were protesting, there was another debate raging. This one over Title IX and boys in women's only spaces and on women's sports teams. This debate is still going on. Sarah, you joined us in the show in September to talk about this. 
This year, the Biden administration tried to redefine gender and sex through changing Title IX. Can you give us a little refresher on what Title IX is and what President Biden is trying to do? I like to affectionately refer to June of this year as the month I almost had a major coronary event. (laughs) Because on the 50th anniversary of Title IX, I was still awaiting the Dobbs opinion. And you all know how much work I've done on both of these issues. They are sort of, you know, my marquee issues. And I went, please, God, just not on the same day. Just not on the same day. And sure enough, Title IX's anniversary and two press conferences that I spoke at were on a Wednesday and on a Thursday we saw the Dobbs opinion. I went, I had 24 hours to take a nap. Yay! So Title IX, it's called the sports law, but it really is so much more than that. It's a very short law. It is designed to prevent sex discrimination in any federally funded education program. That goes for K-12, through that goes for higher education, graduate school, vocational school, but it was designed to level the playing field for men and women in 1972. It was considered a feminist triumph at the time. Women were not allowed in medical schools. They weren't allowed in military academies. They weren't allowed in very many colleges, even for bachelor's or bachelor, you know, sort of bachelor's science degrees. So these women have now gone on to great professional academic things. In fact, 92% of women who are in C-level executive positions, these are women that that run companies or they assist in running companies, have all played some competitive sport in K-12 through or in higher education because of Title IX. Title IX makes all programs inaccessible, all programs, extracurricular activities accessible to both sexes with no discrimination. But here's what we're seeing proposed. There is a 701-page proposed rule coming out of the Department of Education. We've gotten a sneak peek during what's called the rulemaking process, and that's when a federal government agency likes to say, surprise, here's what we're going to pass, just so you know, and the, the public has an opportunity to weigh in. Well, thanks to the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal, way in we did. Mm -hmm. Um, And in total, we saw 224,000 comments submitted through the government's comment portal, which is more than any regulation ever in the history of the Administrative Procedure Act has ever received. So we are hoping that the administration takes a good hard look at the fact that they're about to propose a significant change. And among many other changes, and I could rattle off 15 fatal flaws in the rule, the big one and the one that's most germane to us, because we're, of course, problematic women, (laughs) is expanding the definition of sex to include gender identity. Mm -hmm. Well, if you do that, let's see. That means any man who identifies as a woman can run track against a woman, can compete for a woman's scholarship, can sing in a woman's choral group, can eliminate a woman's place in a competitive admission program. This has untold potential 
consequences. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that once this rule is finalized, we are going to see some major pushback and hopefully a federal injunction preventing it from going into effect. And do we know when it would be finalized? Do we have any sense of the timeline? We don't have any sense, but I will say when I was in the Department of Education, it was 129,000 comments on our Title IX rule clarifying that sex discrimination also meant sexual harassment and sexual assault. We clarified that because the rule itself was not perfectly clear. That's Mm. the whole purpose of rulemaking, Mm -hmm. not to advance a political agenda, but to take a piece of statutory authority and say, all right, this wasn't precisely clear on the issue. The circumstances of modern life have changed. Now we see sex harassment on college campuses. Is that included as sex discrimination? So on our rule, which was half as long, we received 129,000 comments. It took us 18 months to roll it out. If we see anything less than a good solid 12 months from this administration, I think we immediately are going to see a series of legal challenges Mm -hmm. under the Administrative Procedure Act. So at the very least, I think we're looking at a year, probably sometime toward the end of next year, and possibly before the swearing in of a new president, because Mm -hmm. wouldn't that be a parting shot across the bow Mm -hmm. to release that rule? Well, and I want to thank our listeners, because I know that some of you all took the time to leave comments. Uh, So thank you for doing that and for letting your voice be heard on that issue. Lauren, I know you actually traveled up to Vermont to talk to some girls who are being affected by kind of a a similar policy in a way by, um, you know, some some schools have adopted essentially a a new definition of what it means to be a quote unquote woman. And that's affecting young women on sports teams in locker rooms um, and so thanks for the work that you did. You're welcome, Virginia. I don't know if that was where I was going. <laughs> um, no, it's it's the state law in Vermont that depending on your gender identity, you can go in whatever locker room you want. So we went and we told the story of a high school girl at the time. She was only 14. Um, and she felt uncomfortable when there was a biological male in her locker room. And she spoke up and she got the disciplinary charges against her and not the student mm. and you feel for her because she really is it's the state law what else can she do except for speak up um and then her family and her community received backlash for her sticking up so it was definitely a powerful story to tell um but it's still ongoing her case was taken up by adf and Alliance Defending Freedom. Alliance. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) The acronyms of D.C. Um, So definitely not the last time that we'll we'll hear from Blake and and maybe Hardcase can do some real good for Title IX. And we're going to see a lot of these state-level challenges, and we have actually in a couple of different federal circuits. In fact, there are five federal circuit cases, either on specifically the Title IX uh, guidance itself. Because remember, we saw informal guidance in July of 2021. That informal guidance tells people, this is how we're going to interpret this rule going forward. We haven't made the formal rule. The formal rule is coming. But you're going to have to abide by this, just FYI. And a federal judge uh, in the Sixth Circuit and another one in the Eleventh Circuit both said, hold up, you can't make a change that's that big Mm -hmm. without going through a rulemaking process. So a coalition of 20 states led by Tennessee sued the Department of Education. So their 
Title IX guidance is paused. They get to follow biological sex and their own state laws on education and sports until a new rule comes out. So that's going to be an advantage for them. But we're seeing sort of these popcorn federal court challenges, Second Circuit, Ninth Circuit, Eleventh Circuit, Fifth Circuit, Sixth Circuit, all over the country, because these school districts are now realizing they've, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. They've got federal guidance from the administration, but a lot of them have passed women's sports laws to try to protect their own athletes. That's precisely what we were looking at in Vermont. Well, yeah. and I think that that is the key here, right, is protecting athletes. I was a, a collegiate soccer player for a hot minute and um, I can tell you I played against the guys that were on the men's team and they often unintentionally <laughs> hurt me you know like it yeah. wasn't a safe thing and I would never want you know when I have kids in the future for my daughters or uh, yeah my daughters to be against <laughs> men it's just not biologically it's so different and um, I think What's so frustrating as someone that is still like in athletics and still very, very active is our bodies are very, very different from Mm -hmm. men. And, you know, at the end of the day, it feels almost like some people are using this um, Title IX rule and manipulating it so that men can failed men athletes can then use women's sports to quote unquote retire in. It's yeah. absolutely pathetic. Yeah. And, and it just, get more attention than they ever would have absolutely. gotten in men's sports. I, I'll give you a perfect example. Leah Thomas, who snatched the 500 meter women's freestyle NCAA swimming championship mm-hmm. award, was ranked about 500th in the nation. Oh, but he beat he beat three other women <laughs> to win a woman's title. It's unconscionable to me. Title IX's entire purpose was about leveling the playing field and providing women equal athletic and academic opportunity. And we're now seeing it at absolutely vitiated by the sexual politics of this administration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just want people to take the blinders off of their eyes. It's like yeah. it just feels so obvious. Yes. <laughs> Somehow people miss this. Men are men. Women are women, period. <laughs> right. All right. But um, our president, Kevin Roberts, at the Turning Point mm. conference, it was earlier this week, he said, quote, I trust the science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That men are men and women are women. And I thought that was <laughs> That's That's so, so, clever. so clever. Mic drop. All right. Well, we have lots more problematic moments from 2022 coming up. But first, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, then look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. And every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you the facts on the issues that matter most. From the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, She Thinks has you covered. And if you can't wait for that next episode to drop, you can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or you can just search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app. Going into the midterm elections, Republicans said that there was going to be a red wave, but as we all know, that did not happen. Republicans still managed to gain control of the House, but by not as much as they thought at first. And Democrats do still control the Senate, even though it's still a very slim margin. So we're heading into 2023. Mm -hmm. The new Congress is about to start. We have a slightly Republican House, a Democrat by one Senate. How do you think this is going to change politics and kind of the status quo as we move into the new year? Well, I think one of the things it's going to do is um, 
stymie the Biden agenda Mm -hmm. uh, in many different respects because some of the individuals who've been on different oversight committees, the Republican members of oversight committees, have been very keen to bring people before the committee to drill down on exactly how the Biden administration has been getting whatever Mm. purported authority they're Mm -hmm. using. Listen, I was just saying this uh, in a different podcast today. This administration has used statutes for which they were never intended for purposes for which they were never intended in the most creative ways possible. (laughs) Everything from halting Eviction uh, notices for individuals who don't pay rent or don't pay mortgages during the pandemic to trying to force a vaccine into the arm of every employee in the country. If they work for a business of 100 or more employees, they have used so much creativity that I think the House Oversight Committee is going to really be keen to bring some of these Mm -hmm. agency officials in front of them Mm -hmm. and say, where did the authority come from? Who were you talking to? How long had it been going on, because it's very clear to us now, particularly with the work of our oversight project, that all of this took place well in advance of the presidential election, Mm -hmm. that there was a machinery that was already gearing up as soon as President Trump was sworn into office. So I think it's not just going to stymie the Democratic agenda in the Senate. I think also it's going to really call the administration to account on some of its more aggressive regulatory administrative procedures. They have grown the government in this administration like I've never seen it in Mm -hmm. 20 years in Washington. Yeah, if I think I had to pick a word of the year for the Heritage Foundation, I think it would be oversight. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know how much as an organization we even really talked about it, but this year it's been so mission critical to everything that we did. And we created the oversight project led by Mike Hal. And we're at a point where we almost can't even trust these government entities under the Biden administration to provide the oversight. And that's why it's important that. As citizens, we provide oversight. As or, as an organization here at the Heritage Foundation, we provide oversight. And then, Sarah, I think you you're, you hit the nail on the head with Republicans do, even with their narrow majority, have the opportunity to actually shed some light. And they, you know what they say, sunshine is the best disinfectant when it comes to. <laughs> really, though? Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I think, you know, when uh, that word oversight, oversight, is, oversight, is, oversight is accountability. It's bringing yeah. accountability back to our lawmakers, back to the Biden administration and saying, you guys can't do all of your business behind closed doors and think you can just get away with it. And you can't make up the rules as you go along and bend the rules to fit your agenda. You have to be held accountable. There are rules you have to play by. uh, And the American people deserve to know what on earth you're doing and what is going on. And also to know the consequences of their actions. Because I think there's been a lot of... uh, them implementing policies and then they don't go that well and they just sort of like quietly try and bury it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think, Sarah, you're right. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is hopefully, hopefully the Republicans in the House are going to take their job very, very seriously to bring this stuff to light. And it's it's up to them, honestly. The leadership of the House Oversight Committee is going to be absolutely mm-hmm. critical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're hoping that there's an individual who's going to be very keen to take up some of this nefarious dealing on the part of the administration and really call them to account. Yeah. But I, I just want to bring it back to kind of the midterms as a whole and mm-hmm. why it was so problematic. And we had a, a show that the morning after the election and we just kind of live reacted. Yeah, it was a fun show. <laughs> it was a fun show. But I, I think we... 
we, both the people in the room, but also as a nation, kind of overhyped how the right was going to do. And we're like, we're going to take the Senate. It's going to be 82 to 18 <laughs> seats. And we're going to change everything. And then it was like, oh, no, we're not. Oh, no, we're not. We're had the election happen, you know, six weeks earlier. That's kind of what, what happened is what we were expecting. So I think it was just kind of this like, hopes up, we're ready to party. And then I was like, oh, uh, I guess yeah no yeah no nope, mm. not so much Kristen what yeah. were your thoughts at no that time? I I think man lots of thoughts were going through my head but the first was like Republicans are terrible politicians in, in the sense that they really just I mean they had it teed up for a major grand slam and the left brought zero policies honestly the only thing they did bring was abortion and and mm. they played that emotional fiddle so hard this year yep. um and it was I mean. Just so disheartening because we've got the economy. It's it's not doing great. We've got um, the border crisis. We've got, you know, the war in the Ukraine. We have all of these things. And the Democrats are sitting there with very little to say and very few solutions to these problems that will allow us to fix these problems in the next few years. And so I kind of um, just want to emphasize what you all said like the accountability aspect that is needed right now, like it is time for Republicans to put their foot down and to for, you know, partners also FOIAs exist. And I I mean, I worked in the federal government during the Trump administration and there were plenty of civil servants entrenched in my my organization that did anything they could to not have to, you know, they'd extend the FOIA deadline. And I don't totally understand the legality <laughs> aspects of that, but I 100 percent bet that, you know, right now the Biden administration is ensuring that they get as much time on FOIAs as possible. Yeah. Um, it is time to stop putting up with that and ensure that the American people are given the exact information of what's going on so that they can come to 2024 fully informed and and certain that the next era of politics is going to bring solutions so that they can actually live wealthy, prosperous lives. Well, and I think with, you mentioned 2024, I, I was fascinated that literally it was the morning after the election and a lot of news anchors were already bringing up yeah. 2024. I'm just like, what on earth is 2023 going to look like? Like, are we going to feel like we're in an election year already with all of the attention that the next uh, presidential run is going to get? You know, it's funny because this comes again for me back very much full circle to the Dobbs leak, which was in the spring of this year, because what it did is ultimately give um, Senate and and uh, House Democrats a 60 day advanced run on their fundraising coffers. We saw an influx of cash into organizations like NARAL and Planned Parenthood to the point where immediately after the leak, a lot of these organizations, these lobbying organizations were getting massive millions and millions of dollars. And the pro-life lobby was outspent about 10 to one. Mm. There is no way we could keep up with mm. all of the money that was funding the abortion lobby, that was the single selling point. It was, we're going to protect this federal right in Congress. Yeah. Okay, the, the Constitution apparently no longer protects it because the Supreme Court is imperialist and it's, you know, run by <laughs> deists that are right-wing, Bible-thumping <laughs> axe throwers, okay? But now that we've got a Constitution that's back to neutral, now we look to the legislative bodies, mm -hmm. the state houses and to federal Congress. And boy, I tell you what, the Dems made very short work of that fundraising window and it allowed them an opportunity to take what could have been 
a massive bloodletting and reduce it to a paper cut. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we only picked up 12 seats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good analysis. Well, for our last topic of 2022. We saved the most problematic for last. (laughs) Yeah, I want to say, for the record, um, this was Lauren's idea to talk about, which actually I was surprised because uh, for our regular listeners, you will know that Lauren is not a Taylor Swift fan. Taylor Swift is yeah, someone. I have two brain cells to rub together. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you know everyone is is either on very much on the Taylor Swift bandwagon, or you're on the opposite bandwagon of just solidly hating Taylor Swift. Yeah, either you have bad taste or you have good taste. So I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lauren. I legit still have not. I did suggest that we should make this another topic, but I will say I have not listened to. Any of the new album except for oh the like in the TikTok Instagram. It's me. Hi. <laughs> That's all, all she calls it a concept album. Now listen, I have wow. a 16 year old daughter, oh, so, so that's why I know this. <laughs> I, love I love it. By symbiosis only. By by osmosis only. <laughs> Which I will say, if you're 16, you totally find to listen. Sure, to sure. But like as an adult, like 26 is is too old. Is that that's too old, Lauren? Well. No, (laughs) I listen to Taylor Swift and I enjoy it. I I feel like there's a certain mood that you have to be in for Taylor Swift to work. But when you're in that mood, it's just like, all right, Taylor, let's go. You kind of need her. And I mean, the era. I kind of need her. (laughs) (laughs) The eras. It's just like, am I having a good day? Okay, let's put on 1984. Am I having a bad day? All right, reputation. Let's go. Like, you need it. (laughs) Sarah is shaking her head right now. <laughs> but I was fascinated, like looking back at our show notes over the past year, uh, she came up quite a lot because she has, she keeps making headlines. Like there, there was a college, um, I wrote it down. Let me see if I can get it. The University of Texas at Austin. We cover the fact that they are now offering a course on Taylor Swift. Oh, jeez. I mean, and then, of course, there was this insane sellout of her tickets. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just over and over and over. And her re-recording a bunch of albums and all of the legalese and the loopholes that she's found for all of that and her shrewd business skills. Her she, shrewd business skills? <laughs> well, I mean, she is like a multimillionaire, so you kind of have to give her some credit. You know what that is? That's just a good entertainment lawyer. Yeah. That's all that is. She's got a good lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> she does write hits like the hater's going to hate, 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 oh, hate, yeah. hate. And the faker's going to fake, 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 fake. I mean, she's, she's, been accused, she's been accused quite a bit of copyright infringement mm-hmm. by quite a number of of artists so take that for what you will i'm not casting yeah. aspersions it might be true it might be false I, and that's where the good lawyer comes in. <laughs> that's where the good lawyer comes in but i will tell you what she she sort of lost me when her song um you need to calm down mm. won the mm. video music award yeah. the vma Gosh. for best yeah. video and she yeah. followed it with a petition for the equality act in the senate which is the sort of cherry on top brass ring of the Biden administration's sexual orientation and gender identity agenda. Totally. Pass this with no religious freedom protections. Okay, Taylor Swift, I'm not going to go to you for legislative advice, (laughs) nor am I going to consider you an expert on the Constitution and the fact that religious liberty trumps sexual identity every time. Mm -hmm. But she she lost me at that point. I was done. That's very fair. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I truly wish that she would have stayed out of 
politics. She did it yeah. for so long. She did it for too. so long. And I think that everyone was able to really appreciate her for that. For yeah. the fact that, okay, you're a talented young woman, share your talent with the world. But Sarah, like you said, she she's not an expert on the Constitution. No. She's not a lawyer. She's not a policy expert. And of course, she's entitled to her own political opinions, but she doesn't need to share them with the entire world, that's, especially that's when it. they're so wrong. Yeah. Right. And and I think what's also interesting is there's been other celebrities like Matthew McConaughey, who also has a class at mm-hmm. UT Austin. He um when he was asked who he was voting for, he said he'd keep it for, to himself. Like, I, I respect that I so respect much that more than, you know, you're you're a singer. Like, great. That's cool. And you own a lot of cats. And I don't know why you're talking about the Equality Act. I just don't. I just don't. You know, it's I, I kind of view them. This is horrible. But I look at a lot of these entertainers like, you know, court jesters. It's like, entertain me, clown. <laughs> I don't want to know exactly what your political stance is. I really don't care. Or your sexual orientation or your gender identity. OK, just do your thing. Be <laughs> right. an artist. OK, make music, act in films. That's why we consume entertainment in the American <laughs> public. We like it. We don't want a political spiel about why Roe versus Wade was wrong to be overturned. So that's yeah, my music, own perspective. Music and art should bring us together, not push us forward. That's exactly yeah, it. That's such a good point, Lauren. It she, should. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. She does welcome. warn us, though, in that reputation song to never trust a narcissist. So just saying. Use her words <laughs> well, against like, her. That's circular <laughs> logic, though, because she is a narcissist. Exactly. So how can you trust her? Well, she almost, her. Like, she almost like admits to it. In yeah. the song. Yeah. yeah, it's very fascinating. That's like the Manchurian candidate kind of stuff. It's yeah. like she's she's actually telegraphed her own demise, but it's not she's not aware she's telegraphing her own demise. <laughs> I just I, I will uh, I like to talk about it because I literally just can't get over how like people are obsessed with her. I just <laughs> I, I, I her music is just not good. Like if you want to listen to like emo music, go back to like two thousand seven and put on some like Fall Boy or like actual emo music. Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to take it back to the 80s, and I'm no. going to tell you to turn on Aerosmith, Def Leppard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. This, this is right, real music. That. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Over Taylor Swift. I, I do think we're always biased to the music that we grew up with. There's always that little For bit sure. of like, oh, this is the song that, you know, when I was 16 and the boy said that thing mm-hmm. that yeah. I listened to on repeat. Sometimes Just I feel always like holds she's, a close place in your Yeah, heart. she's like narrating my life. I remember I had a huge crush on this boy named Drew after tear drops on my guitar oh, but only because his name was drew and i wanted it drew to apply to me looks at me that's what she sounds like yeah that's her i fake a smile so he won't see that's I mean, what i did know the song i was right? also a fan of old school hip-hop mm-hmm. like cnc music factory and boys to men and salt in Peppa, okay? Mm. Let me tell you, that that was my jam. I was wow. known to get down, okay? In parachute pants and everything you guys. I, wow. I'm an oh, 80s we need, child. We need I pictures. We need pictures. <laughs> my son actually said to me the other day, Mom, you're so cool because you grew up in the 80s. That was like the best era. And I was like, it was, son. <laughs> our, our shoulder pads and our teal blue eyeshadow were not appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad you see it now. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, so from Roe v. Wade and protests to Title IX and, of course, midterm elections and then Taylor Swift. It has been a wild ride. I like it starts with, like, good news to, like, Title IX. Okay, it still could go bad a little little bit. And then the midterm, like, kind of 
pretty mm. disappointing to like the biggest disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> like the demise. Wow. Wow. Well, Sarah and Kristen, thank you both so much for joining us on the show today. We truly appreciate it. And for joining us multiple times throughout 2022 for being consistent voices on this show, along with so many other very problematic women. Thank you all. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having us. Merry Christmas to you guys. Here's to a uh, a great 2023. 2023. Here we come. Well, stay tuned uh, because up next we are going to crown our most problematic woman of the year. And Sarah, Kristen, Lauren, and I, we all selected one woman who we found to be very problematic. We put a poll on Instagram. We let you all vote. So in just a moment, we're going to be announcing the winner that you voted for the most problematic woman of the year. Stay tuned. We get it. With big media bias, it's hard to find accurate, honest news. That's why we've put together the Morning Bell Newsletter, a compilation of the top stories and conservative commentary. To subscribe, just head to dailysignal.com slash subscription, or visit dailysignal.com and click on the connect button at the top of the page. All right. So every week over the past year, we have crowned a problematic woman of the week. Well, it only felt appropriate today for our last episode of the year to crown a problematic woman of the year. But we wanted to hear from you. So we all chose one person, Lauren, Sarah, Kristen, and I, that we wanted to be, that we thought was deserving of being problematic woman of the year but ultimately the decision came down to you all i put a poll on the problematic woman instagram account and you all voted between carrie lake candace cameron burr amy coney barrett and riley Gaines, all very very problematic women who was the most problematic of 2022 and the winner is the crown goes to candace cameron burr And my goodness, she certainly was a problematic woman this year. She has taken a stand really just for values, for traditional values, for her views. She has not said anything radical. She came out uh, about a month ago and just said, you know, she wanted to see uh, more traditional family values displayed in Christmas movies. And for that, you know, she was branded a hater and a bigot, but she has stood her ground. She has not apologized and she's kept a smile on her face through it all, certainly an incredibly well-deserving problematic woman of the year. Uh, and hey, maybe you all will be enjoying some of her Christmas movies over the holiday season. So thank you guys for voting, for participating. Be sure to be following the Problematic Women Instagram account throughout the holidays. We're going to have uh, some different fun quote graphics that I'll be sharing and a few different fun things. So, But with that... That is going to be it for 2022 here on Problematic Women. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Okay, so it is not just this week's edition. It is the last edition of 2022, and it's Christmas. Wow. Lauren, I'm headed down to South Carolina. My family has a tradition of spending Christmas at the beach down there, and you're headed south as well, right? No, I'm going to be at my home for any criminals and robbers listening. <laughs> Sitting on my so- sofa with a shotgun. So, <laughs> fair, fair. All right. Well, okay. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but we're going to be back with you all on Thursday, January 5th. So, mark your calendars. 
Thank you to everyone who left us a review by December 20th and took a screenshot and sent us your address. Your problematic woman Tumblr is in the mail as of yesterday. But if you have never left us a review, you still can. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world and we greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Okay. Have an amazing Christmas. Remember, no show next week as it's Christmas week. Lauren will be on her couch with her shotgun. I'm going to be in South Carolina. Have an amazing Christmas and And a happy new year. And don't forget to hug your Christmas tree and thank you for all that it's sacrificed for you. Really, (laughs) really though. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Merry Christmas. We'll see you January 5th. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.